Welcome to Work and the Future, a podcast about tomorrow, with your host, Linda Nazareth. Well, hello, and thank you for joining us today. Well, we're now in the fall of 2023. That's three and a half years after the pandemic and lockdowns really changed a lot of things about work. Now, we've gone back to normal in some cases, in the sense that people are going back in the office, maybe working hybrid, but other things are not what they were in 2020. And when we look at the things that have changed, it really includes how we communicate and network at work. And honestly, in a lot of cases, people aren't doing that at all. Where people used to make an effort to meet face-to-face, now they do it through teleconferencing if they can. And even when they're in the office, it's not what it was because people are are not going in every day, maybe. And when they do, they're focused on just working. I have one restaurant owner tell me that they have stopped serving lunch. This is in a, a city because in the days that people do go into work, they aren't taking time out to have a leisurely meal. They're just trying to focus and get the work done. So amidst all of this, where we're trying to figure out how to interact with people, should we be brushing up on our professional social skills and should we be figuring out how we need to network again? Well, to talk about that, I'm joined on this episode by Andres Laris. Now, he's managing partner at Shapiro Negotiations Institute. And I talked to him a couple of years ago about negotiations in a professional context, which was a really good conversation, too. I think that was episode 67, where, you know, we talked about how people don't necessarily understand what negotiation is. There's misconceptions about this. And in the workplace, we need to understand it. This time around, I wanted to talk to Andres about what it means to network in a modern sense, not giving somebody your business card, but how we should be socializing in a business sense and you know why it's to everyone's benefit to do that. So I had a really interesting discussion with him. Please stay with us to hear it. Well, is it time to learn to network again? To talk about that, I'm joined by Andres Laris. He is managing partner at the Shapiro Negotiations Institute. Andres, thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. You know, we've spoken before. I looked it up. It was episode 67. Uh, we talked about negotiation. I thought it was really interesting because, you know, said it was a kind of communication, not really kind of a showdown, but just a way of relating to people. So I thought that was fascinating. Tell us again about your background and how you ended up doing the kind of work you're doing. Well, and and I like the way you kind of brought that up because I think I always try to say that you're not negotiating against somebody, you're negotiating with someone. And they're, hopefully that perception difference makes a, makes a very big difference in the result. Uh, and there's some empathy there. But for me, so I kind of fell into it really. I I uh, wanted to work in sports, and, and that particular piece attracted me to this organization that uh, we were working a lot in the sports arena, helping teams negotiate player contracts. And uh, so what I started here kind of in a short-term project about uh, 14 years ago now. And then, uh, you know, fast forward now, uh, I've been the managing partner for six. So it's been a good long run and, and still enjoying it. So uh, still at it. Well, there's a lot of parts of this when we're talking about negotiation and communication and the rest of it. Networking, what we're going to talk about today, I was almost thrown by this idea because I think of it as kind of, I don't know, a bit of a throwback. People used to talk about networking and making contacts and all that. How would you define it? 
Well, I think the next snowback will be if people start to or stop using, you know, LinkedIn and start using business cards again, have a little Rolodexes for for networking. But, you know, the thing about networking, this comes to us now a lot because I can't tell you how many times we hear. So we do a lot of, of, of our training in person or online and we get all the time now that our people are asking for in person. So it's interesting because there's a pushback, I think, to go in the office. And so that's another piece of communication kind of in the office that maybe people are getting used to again. And there's a lot there to talk about whether you want it or not and long-term will happen. But I think for one-time events, especially for good trainings that are fun and practical, we have we have gone the other way where now most folks, even those that really want it online, are willing to invest, fly all of their people in and do it in person because their people kind of want it. So it is interesting. There's this desire, I think, we're social beings and desire to kind of get together maybe in a different way than we used to, not every day in the office, but kind of for these bigger these bigger events. And so to your question about networking, I think those connections that are made when you're communicating with folks that you may already know uh, a little bit that you don't know at all, but you know, really kind of uh, meeting new people and establishing rapport and, and kind of connections with new people is, is really at its core. Yeah, it's interesting because what I mainly do is speak at conferences, future work, economics, whatever. And over the last year, it's been sort of, for a lot of people, the first time they've been at a conference in three years, four years, and they're yep. so happy to be there. I mean, maybe exactly. to listen to the speakers, but to see their colleagues yep. and just do the face-to-face again. How important do you think that is? I mean, it's fun, but in terms of developing, uh, in, in terms of your well-being, how important do you think it is to get out and go to those events? Well, so it, it's interesting because we were, uh, you know, the ability to work remote was for us available before COVID. And I say for us, especially I talk about our company, but certainly beyond that. And, and there's lots of clients that we had, especially in the tech space that were remote well before COVID. Um, but I think one of the things that people have kind of seen is there's definitely a convenience to work remote. But I would argue, and, and certainly I think some argued a lot stronger than I do. They feel, uh, I think they feel even more extreme than I do. But I, I do believe that there's some value to the in-person. Now, the in-person may not have to be five days a week, but why is that? And I think some of it is, is just clearly based on science, right? So the, the richer a medium is, the easier it is to build rapport and the stronger the rapport and connection is. So if you just kind of think about for a second, you're emailing someone and they receive it and you can't tell tone. You know, is this person, are they angry or are they joking? You can't tell sometimes. And that's natural. You can't tell tone. There's less context, right? There's less richness and you can't see them. You can't, you know, there's no tone. Then you talk on the phone. There is tone, but you can't see them. Then you do a video call and you get this box right here that we're in. You can see a little more and you can see their background and there's there's more connection there. And then finally in person where you spend time, and especially if you're kind of doing it over something, a shared activity, like a meal. And so... I think when you miss out on those things and you start to think about what is the impact there? Well, the relationships, the depth of it, for example, you know, if two people are equal at a company and one person is kind of, let's in person, let's say networked internally and knows the leader better, who do you think that leader will pick if they have to promote someone? And that is natural because a leader has to kind of go with the less risky option, right? So two people are just as good, but I know this person a little better. So I'm a little bit more confident in what I expect them to do around this person is a little bit more of an unpredictable. And so, you know, while it may put people off to kind of think that way, I think that kind of encapsulates the value of networking in an internal company example. And certainly the same can be said for a salesperson, an entrepreneur that's raising money or all these situations where we're networking with some other objectives in mind. And, And of course, the better you know someone, you know, people do business with people who 
are like them to some extent and definitely people who they like. And so just interactions in person with someone can help to build that. You know, and that's problematic in its way, right? Because as you say, there are people who are very good at their jobs, but for their life, it doesn't necessarily work to commute and show up every day and schmooze with the boss and go up for drinks. Um, If you can't, if you're not that person, if you were not able to show up every day, what's the best use of your time to network? And so I think then, you know, the nice part, at least compared to years ago, is back then you would have probably not thought about it. At least now you can be strategic and think about it, even if you can't be in the office. So you would openly, for example, uh, we've advised sometimes people ask us this in our training sessions. And we say internally, then reach out to a few people that you'd like to learn to kind of learn from or get to know and do video calls with them. And OK, that may not be the same as taking them out to lunch. But let's say you're at a really big company and the campus is huge. Before you would have kind of hoped, fingers crossed, serendipitously, you, you meet someone in the hallway and you talk to them. Instead, you can look them up and say, hey, hi, Michelle. Hi, Sam. Can I buy you a cup of coffee if you can do it in person? Or can we do a 30-minute Zoom call? I'd love to introduce myself and pick your brain about the following thing or chat about this or that. And so now you can be strategic about it. And so I think if we see networking as, you know, it sometimes is considered a scary thing. But if it's genuine, right? If you're doing it just because you want to climb the corporate ladder and you have to check this box, then it's going to be probably a, uh, not a fun activity. It's going to be you know pretty tough to kind of continue to do. But if you're genuine, where you want to get to know people, you want to learn more from them or about them, then all of a sudden these reach outs in the, in the richest medium possible. So pick in person when you can, video call when you can, phone when you can, email when you can, kind of in that order, then I think you'll find that you can be fairly effective. Maybe not a, you know the most, but 90% is effective without doing the in-person but it has to be strategic and it has to be genuine. Okay, this is hard for some people, right? Like even going to the conference, you walk into the room, those are huge rooms and mm-hmm. there's all these people. If you're not a naturally social person, what should you be thinking about? Well, I guess there's a couple of things, but one I would say is you can prepare yourself, right? So preparing with a couple of questions that are in line with kind of the theme of whatever event you're going to. So in that example of a conference, right? You're going to, you're in procurement, you're going to procurement conference. Well, there's definitely, well, there right now might be supply chain challenges and how, you know, post COVID they're evolving or inflation or whatever it may be. You definitely have some subject matter questions that because of the theme of the conference, you can be pretty confident that, you know, most people will be not only comfortable speaking about it, but it could be pretty interesting. So having a few questions around that, is a great way to kind of prime it and have some things ready. And so if you're not sure what to do or say, you can kind of go to those three, four, five, six questions you prepared. And then you'll naturally find, not in all scenarios, but what you'll naturally find is once you get the conversation going, I mean, people love to, to chat about things that they are passionate about. So once you kind of find what clicks, then I think you'll find that it becomes very easy because as people are sharing and they're more passionate about it, it's contagious. And next thing you know, you kind of in a conversation that you genuinely enjoy. So I think preparing a little bit is mindset and, and some of it is having some questions ready. You'll find that because two things will happen. You'll be better in the event, but also you have more confidence because sometimes we're really the biggest roadblock to ourselves, right? It's our lack of confidence saying, oh, this is so scary. And then you do it. And what do we mostly think? Actually, that wasn't as scary as I thought. So you're trying to over, overcome those two things. And I guess showing up is part of it too, right? Sure. That, I guess that's the first step, right? And that's hard, right? People are not used to yeah. necessarily being out. And one other thing too that um, that kind of in a recent conversation came up is you can also, you know, potentially have kind of a, a few outs, if you will. So let's say it's a three-day conference and you're not sure and you go the first day. The first day you may decide to only go for a couple hours at the most. And you may keep to yourself a little bit, just listening to a few sessions. 
and not necessarily trying to meet new people at lunch and really kind of pushing yourself. But that alone, like you said, the first step is going. So you've done that. And so you've got some momentum. And the fact that you're in now some of the sessions, well, you're going to gain some information and have some talking points that naturally, when you do day two, decide, okay, now I'm going to sit foot with folks and, you know, for lunch, that's natural conversation. You know, did you get a chance to sit in on this session? What did you think of this? And so I think taking baby steps and giving yourself the space to say, this is as much as I can do today. And, you know, you certainly don't have to accomplish it all in one day. At least when you're at a conference, yeah, maybe you do have lunch. Uh, I was speaking to somebody who owned a really quite nice restaurant where I live, and she said they had had to close down lunch service. This is in Toronto because when people come in to work now, the two days a week, they're not taking long, expensive lunches anymore. Do you find that does the culture change? So I think so, and I think this gets you know certainly your podcast theme. I think is is awesome, and, and the future of work is a, a very complicated. Uh, you know, concept to predict, right? I think it's ever evolving and there's all sorts of pressures. There's some organizations bringing their people back and there's people that don't want to come in, some that do want to come in. There's kind of uh, immigration patterns in the sense that people moving in and out of different places in the country, that makes an impact. But I think, you know, certainly I, 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 I think there's a theme of people, there's kind of in the camps of, I want to spend time with my colleagues and clients and people kind of perfect working I, you know, call them with colleagues of some time of some kind, or I don't. And I think the ones that don't are, it's more comfortable for them to avoid it. It's kind of become more, you know, common. And so I think those folks are bringing their lunch so they don't have to go and can just kind of get the workday done or just, you know, go and grab me something and coming back. But it's kind of seen a little bit more transactional. And so I think there's definitely, but I will say some in the camp that I think are like, you know, really kind of going for, I want to go to these training sessions. I want to go to conferences. I want to go into the office, even if it's not five days a week, but I, I really miss, you know, I don't want to work alone in my office anymore, kind of a home office. So I think they're falling into two camps and, but a significant percentage I think are saying, look, I, this is my work and I want to kind of keep it within this box. And, and that also opens up the kind of the work-life balance and a lot more questions around the role and kind of, you know, the role of work in, in our lives. And I think in the U.S. and, and in North America, really, it's, it's different than in other places in the world. And I think it's being revisited. Okay, so what's the organization's role in this? If you want to have good communications between your workers, you want people to, to build teams, I mean, how proactive should you be? I'm thinking actually about some of the, uh, the bonding exercises and the team building, which people kind of hate. Do you think that's worth it? So it is interesting. I'll, you know, in the micro, just at least in our perspective, so I can tell you a, a significant portion of our team is now remote and global, uh, a larger share than it was uh, pre-COVID. And, and a little bit because of growth. And some of that's also because we're kind of attracting talent from all over and growing more internationally. So we bring our team in together a few times a year. And it's, I would say 50% of it is work-based, uh, very specific to kind of, you know, meet and talk about specific things. And the other 50% is just kind of not necessarily team building, but activities we do together, whether it's often it's a heavy bound kind of volunteering in the community and then doing a few of the kind of fun things. And what we're doing is we're basically saying, look, you're not coming in every day, but those two, three, four times a year you come in, it's to kind of build that relationship with your colleagues. So you're more likely to say, hey, I you know, speak up and say, I don't think this is the best way. Would you be open to this instead? Or you're willing to kind of call in on a favor or communicate just in generally more effectively with your colleagues. And so I can say we firsthand definitely seen the value. And so we've kind of replicated every day in the office with, you know, these kind of like 
really pressurized ways to, you know, do kind of build that rapport very quickly. And I would say, you know, lots of companies are doing that. So there's ways you can be strategic. A couple of things I would say, you want to have some meetings, but you don't want to have too many. I mean, there's countless research to say how much time we can potentially waste in meetings. And you want to use the richest medium possible when, when culturally everyone can be there. Meaning, if you're going to do a meeting and you have everyone online, and it's important all hands or for a specific group or for all your direct reports, you want them to be on camera, kind of fully engaged in a group size that's manageable and intimate enough. And so that would be very different than a meeting where you're just trying to get through things that you could just kind of replace with an email or Slack. So I think like if you're thinking about media richness, if you're thinking about communication, building rapport, you got to give yourself opportunity to do that. I would say other things that we found, you know, in the middle of COVID, we had some team members that were new and we would do like a trivia game at, you know, three o'clock. So during the middle of the workday, rather than doing something, you know, work related, we do them. And at first people thought, oh, this is kind of quirky. I'm not sure if this makes any sense, but if it was well done, it was, it approximated, I'd say 95% as good as in person. We had people in all of Colombia and in Germany and all over the US all together. And if anything, we actually had a chance to bond people that would have never met in person, even pre-COVID, because we were just doing more things online in a more creative way. So I think the role, I think there's a role in rich communication. It doesn't always have to be in person, in person's the richest, but there's a role for strategically rich communication where people kind of bond and connect. What about if you're trying to train the next generation of managers? I and mean, one thing we hear all the time is this is not good for younger people to have hybrid work or to have offsite work. They need to be mentored. And this is the group that's going to be managing in five years or 10 years or whatever. How do you get them ready for that when they're not around people all the time? Well, uh, I think this would be a much broader question, but the question is, will this next generation manage the same way that we see managers, right? So if you look at whether it's, uh, I think it's called Row, or if you look at, you know, the, the types of organizations now where they're totally flat or where it's totally KPI-based, I mean, there's lots of kind of new structures where it isn't that role that you would have seen where someone kind of, you know, pats in your back and makes you feel better when you're down. And when you're too high, maybe it gives you a little bit of reminders of humility and also continues to kind of think about your career path. So maybe management and leadership kind of will think, you know, will develop into something a little bit different. That's a much broader question. But I think in general, there, there certainly is some loss. But again, I do think there's something strategic. I'll give an example. Uh, there's a kind of a Netflix um, you know, show that was around uh, someone in, in Montreal, actually knowing that you know, you're, you're Toronto and I'm Canadian, but that uh, you know, they, were, they started off with you know, is, is, is a, a profanity and with cats. And so a Netflix show. And the, the kind of I get to the point is that what was really interesting about that show, and I think I always bring this up as a perfect example. So there was a group of people that had a shared theme. They wanted to cast this person had been hurting cats, so it eventually escalated to more. At the end of the show, you see when they were able to kind of, um, you know, uh, accomplish their goal after quite a lot together, a community of people online that had never met, that were not even using real names, that had never spoken in person and probably not even on the phone and certainly in a video call, had so much in common that they felt really close. They're giving themselves hugs at the end of the kind of the show because they have so much in common, they were able to reach their objective together. I, I love that concept. I think it's a perfect one to point to that building rapport people is about commonalities. And so you don't need to do it the same way we've always done it. And I think we're going to see new ways that will evolve. I don't think we're there yet because I think we haven't been doing this mode of working long enough, but I'm optimistic that I think things will develop and evolve based on the way we're headed. Really interesting times, really interesting thoughts too, Andres. Thank you so much for talking to me. 
Thank you. I hope um, everyone can benefit from it. Andres Laris is managing partner at the Shapiro Negotiations Institute. Well, that's it for today. If you want to know more about Andres and his work, please take a look at our show notes. You'll find some links there. If you'd like to interact with me, you can reach me on X, which used to be Twitter, at, at @relentlesseco. Now, if you did like this conversation about the future of work, please take a moment and leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. That will really help people to find us and that helps keep these conversations going. Thank you so much for listening and thanks as always to Stokely Audio for audio production. To learn more about work and the future and to see show notes, go to the workandthefuturepodcast.com. You can also contact us at comments at theworkandthefuturepodcast.com. The Work and the Future Podcast with Linda Nazareth is a Relentless Economics production. <laughs>